Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also joined by my good fellas, 60s and Clint. Boys, it's been a pretty manic week of weather. It's been it's hot, humid, wet, rainy, wintry. It's been a big grab bag of uh, weather. But how have you boys been holding it down? Well, we're on the cusp of more heat wave evidently coming up over the next three days, John. So hopefully we can get through that. And a lot of this hot weather is on the decline as we get into some of the junior rep stuff coming up. I don't think it will be. I think we're going to cop all that hot weather for the early part of the junior rep season. Uh, apart from that, mate, doing pretty well. Really looking forward to tonight's podcast. Like, I think there's some really great stuff to be able to talk about. Bit of fun as well. And looking forward to your uh, interval music for tonight. Might have something interesting in the oven for that one. <laughs> and on that ominous note, Quint, how you doing, mate? Um, gents, uh, we, we, we just spoke about the heat there, and uh, it is very, very timely that my uh, fan in my living room decided to park it um, with this heat wave that's about to hear us. So I'm going to give a shout out to our good mate, Para through and through, and say, mate, please get out here and help me. <laughs> it's always good to have an electrician as a as a mate, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. When when they're there. <laughs> uh, and, and tonight and tonight, John, just before you uh get into our thanks to the sponsors for our listeners, we're gonna have uh Clint leading us through tonight's agenda. So looking forward to that as well, Clint. Yeah, looking forward to it, gents. Uh, let's say we get this show on the road. And before we give uh, Clint the keys to the uh, podcast and let him take control of uh, the wheel, a quick reminder to all our listeners about the great Aussie boot swap that's happening out of Paraleagues tomorrow on Thursday, the 25th of January. Uh, we've covered it plenty, both on TCT and on the tip sheet, uh, but it's a, a fantastic initiative to get football boots to plenty of new boys and girls, get them into the game, taking place out at the uh, function area near the car park, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Paraleagues. Activities include games, giveaways, the old classic sausage sizzle, chance to meet some former players like Nathan Kalis and Tim Manor, among others. So if you have a chance, get out there, get involved. Got an old pair of boots that are still in decent nick and need a new home. Uh, get them into that great Aussie boot swap. And as always, before we get into the meat of the podcast, a quick shout out to the two sponsors of the show and the Cumberland for Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellon and Parramatta. You guys know what they do for us and the amazing job that they help us, uh, they do to help us bring the podcast out every week. But now, Quint, I'll throw it over to you, mate. News team, assemble! Yeah, and we kick off with some Eels news as, as always, gents. Uh, some junior rep trials were held over the weekend. 60s, you were there on ground after missing uh, the trials the week before. 
Uh, you have some news and updates with us on the form of the sides that played this weekend, Bast. Yeah, it was uh, two days of trials, actually, against the Panthers. The girls' teams, the uh, Lisa Fiola Cup and the Tasha Gale Cup, had their trials against the Panthers Friday night. So I wasn't able to get out to those trials. I tried to grab a little bit of mail from the staff that were there on the Saturday. It was fairly positive feedback. The Lisa Fiola Cup evidently won quite comfortably. It was something like 6-1, six tries to one, something like that. But they were very much in command. The Tasha Gale also had a reasonable hit out, uh, leading early with the uh, first, with the starting players out, out on the field. Uh, I believe they were just ahead of the Panthers. Didn't actually get a, a score on that, but uh, evidently the Panthers pegged them back a little bit later in the second half. And it was either scores equal or, or the Panthers just ahead when time was called in that match. Uh, obviously, this week coming, well, next weekend, sorry, I should say, we've got the junior reps kicking off and 40 will be covering those girls' matches from Belmore Oval on mm-hmm. Saturday week. Um, then on the Saturday, again out at Windsor against the Panthers, the Harold Mats and the SG Ball took the field Saturday morning. The Harold Mats had a very good result. They ran out 24 to 14 winners against the Panthers. Uh, look, I was really, I was quite happy with the hit out of the Harold Matthews. Uh, lots of new faces for us. Uh, not new faces to the Eels system because they're players that have come through development squads. But it was, yeah, a very solid hit out against a club that's always very strong in the junior grades in the Panthers to get the win there. Uh, the SG ball, that was the Eels taking a lead early and into the second half in that match. And then as we started to get a few replacements, Penrith finished strongly. They ended up running out winners at full time, 30 to 22. There are a lot of players that are SG ball eligible that aren't playing SG ball for the Eels this season. They're either playing... Uh, they're either training with the NRL squad at the moment or in the flag cup team. And I thought that that outcome for the Eels was quite a good one. We saw some uh, names that have been uh, bandied about during the off-season. We had uh, young Joy Camilleri, who was a recruit from the Gold Coast. He actually got across for three tries. He was Johnny on the spot when opportunity <laughs> presented. So uh, he was able to get well his... Well done, young fella. Yeah, yeah we had... Uh, because we actually um, had uh, Lockie Kanaikis, who was the starting hooker in the game, went off. It looked like a dislocated finger, and they seemed to be having a few problems with it, so they took him off the field. Uh, Camilleri came on in that dummy half role, and as I said, it was... He was there when it was needed about three times. It, it all um, it, The first two uh, were close-range tries. The second one was uh, picking up uh, off, a, off a bit of a break and uh, some offloads. He got the last offload, actually picked it up off the ground to bounce over the try line for his third try. So he had an eventful day. 
look, across the trials, a lot of drop ball. Got to be honest. It was just a lot of drop ball from both teams in both grades. It's kind of what you expect in the trials. Um, combinations aren't not only are they not settled, but then you've got players running on and off the field and sometimes there's some passes that are, are pushed. Um, warm, sticky conditions out there as well. So, look, I, I guess a decent hit out to get those sorts of scores against the Panthers before we get to round one. So, yeah, big weekend last weekend. We've got that two-week break before the season kicks off. And as always, you can get that coverage on the Cumberland Throw. It's uh, it's worth noting as a part of those trials as well, there's sixties that uh, unlike last week where conversions weren't taken and um, it was very much about getting as many minutes into many players as possible, this uh, resembled uh, regular competition minutes and match uh, conditions. Yeah, played played in halves. Um, as you said, conversion conversions taken. Uh, probably the uh, main difference, I think, was the number of replacements and also uh, there was a sin bin in the Harold Maths, Harold Matts game, but a replacement was allowed for the sin bin. Mm. So that's uh, apart from that, yeah, we were closer to match conditions than the previous week against the Bulldogs. Oh, look, I always find that Bulldogs trial, and uh, bear in mind I didn't get to due to illness, I didn't get out to see that Bulldogs trial, but I always find it to be a really awkward trial to get a, you know, draw a, a form line through. It's mm. the, the dogs inevitably, inevitably come out breathing fire for this trial match. It's like it's a grand final to them. And not only that, you've got so many players that are out there because it's before the cut has been made to trim the squads. And a lot of players getting game time. And, yeah, it, it's just really, really tough. And I believe as well uh, there was a bit of a miscommunication in one of the grades. It might have been the Harold Matts where I think the Eels put out their uh, likely top uh, starting 13 at the start of the game, whereas the Bulldogs ran theirs out later in the game. So uh, I think they had intended to to put them on at the same time. And, yeah, I believe there was some sort of miscommunication. Well, that's that's the feedback that I've had so far. So, anyway, the real competition starts Saturday week and uh, looking forward to getting out there and uh, covering it for the Cumberland Throw. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as as you noted, Forty will be out there with the live blog covering all of those uh, the grades there. So make sure when the uh, junior rep season does commence that you are following us live on thecumberlandthrow.com. Um, we probably transition up the grade line now into NRL and 60s. You have an NRL training update to share with us. Yeah, well, I got out a training report yesterday. I had a bit of fun with that, uh, calling it the Monday menu. And uh, it was – and I know you had a few quips for me after you read it, the, uh, <laughs> a few puns. That, yeah, uh, no, I'm uh, – Puns, dad jokes, whatever you like to uh, refer to them as, maybe one and the same. But um, I thought it was a very digestible piece, the uh, Cuisine La Paramata. <laughs> yeah, that, that it was, that it was. Um, yeah, look, it was unusual for there to be a, a Monday session where there was so much time that was spent 
on opposed work. I mean, there really was a lot that, uh, of time that was dedicated to it. It wasn't, of course, the um, free-flowing opposed football. It was all uh, the coaches dictating where uh, resumptions of play would start, how long a team would have possession for. Look, the interesting thing, Clint, was that a lot of the responses were suggesting that they're like based on my report that there wasn't much work done in the way of defense and i've managed to respond to some of those uh, replies saying well look i don't go into a lot of details about defensive drills because there's defensive drills that happen there's a lot of contact work that happens on the sessions when like on other days not out there on the field mm. sessions. But when the field sessions are, are, are taking part, there are designated defensive drills that happen. There's individual skills work with defence. And basically for every drill that happens in attack where there is an opposition, they are just as much working on the defensive decisions and systems of the team as they are in, on the attack. And when you watch the positioning of the coaches, you have them... Uh, you know, the attacking coaches uh, will be positioned behind the team in possession. The defensive coaches will be positioned behind the team in defence. And they're, they're out there either giving praise, uh, encouragement or um, advice according to what the need is. And the coaches change up the defensive load of the team. So, for example, if it's NRL versus New South Wales Cup, out there in the opposed work, then they might decide to give one or the other team a period of sustained attack or uh, and conversely, a period of uh, sustained defence for the other team. And uh, if, a, if a set has completed, they'll just restart another set for that attacking team to keep going and test the defence of the other team. Uh, similarly... If they're working drills, say on uh, half field, or sometimes they they'll they'll do full field, uh, full teams, but they might have NRL right side against NRL left side. Mm. And again, whether they're doing full field or half field, they're doing defence as much as they are attack. No matter if it's ball work, um, and and also a lot there's a lot of conditioning drills that involve defence line movement. So you've got them doing. Um, up and back, move, moving and sliding, you know, all, all these sorts of things, communicating to each other as they're doing it. So there's an awful lot that goes into defence. I mean, after all, it's 50% of the game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it goes, it goes without saying. So when people are reading any of my training reports, please, um, you know, don't take it if I'm just if I'm putting in highlights that are mostly attacking highlights. Don't for any moment think that there hasn't been a focus on defence. It's just that, you know, there's there's a lot more to describe when something interesting is happening in attack than when a team is just simply shutting down the opposition and not giving them many opportunities. So, um, and, and what I will say is that it's, there's, there's been really good quality opposed work that's uh, that's been happening. So, um, yeah, keep reading the reports, but bear in mind there is plenty of work that's being done in defence. Well, it's probably worth also noting there, John, that 
you know, it, in order to describe a really good defensive move, you, you have to set the scene with the attacking play that was set up as well. So it, 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 the, the um, 60s articles and his training updates are always going to lend themselves more to a attacking focus as a result of that as well. I think it's just the nature of the game as a commentary, uh, whether it's you mm. know, television, whether it's radio, whether it's uh, via live blog and text the way we do, um, and even trans- translating train reports, the game itself lends itself towards expressive attacking plays, right? Um, and, and once in a blue moon, you'll have an incredible hit or something along those lines in defense that will you know jump out. But for the most part, good defensive plays are difficult to uh, you know qualify expressively. So yeah, it's 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 one of those like sort of caveats. Whenever you're reading a rugby league report, um, unless someone has put on an absolute clinic in defense, uh, odds are a good defensive play is just going to be left on the wayside because describing good attacking football is more engaging for readership. It's easier to do. And it's like we said before, the way the sort of the game itself has leaned in the last couple of decades as we've gone towards more attacking football in general. Um, yeah, you you tend to describe attacking football easier and uh, you know more often. Look, I just hope that those reports give people an appetite for the real thing to start soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, speaking of an appetite for the real thing to start soon. Um, we've had the Daily Telegraph link in with head coach Brad Arthur during the week and uh, a pretty in-depth interview. And I actually got to say, gents, I quite like that the uh, the Telegraph is, uh, they seem to be doing this with all the head coaches. And obviously, you know, we're one of the first uh, clubs um, off the rank there um, that, were, that were interviewed, but some, some really notable comments um, to the questions that uh, journalist Paul Crawley put to coach Brad Arthur. Um, particularly around the hooker um, and uh, Clint Gutherson, Ethan Sanders, uh, Brad's own son, Matt Arthur. Uh, John, what were your thoughts on the tell-all interview from Brad Arthur ahead of season 2024? Well, first of all, um, it's not exactly an unknown fact that I've had plenty of bones to pick with Paul Crawley in the past and the standard of his (laughs) coverage of the game. But I've got to say you know, sort of a salute to some good old-fashioned proper journalism. Like, that. that is a the sort of mm. rugby league piece that at least myself as a fan has been crying out for for a long time. Uh, it, you know, it, it, you could say it was sprawling to some degree, but it was in-depth, it was candid, there was a terrific football insight. Um, you know, there was reflection from Brad Arthur on the failures of last season, why, you know, there should be success for the Eels around the corner. Um, and, you know, Crawley, he, he pushed him on the right topics without being rude. Uh, but, like, you know, mm. a journalist, you know, you need to get an answer. And he also, you know, gave Arthur an opportunity to express himself. And I think it was a pretty interesting uh, read. Uh, as a fan, I, I came out of that thinking that uh, the club's in a pretty good place. It's not perfect, but uh, some really interesting stuff. It, it sort of fell in line with things that we knew about the young kids coming through, uh, about the state of the club where they went wrong in 2023 so yeah look there's a number of topics we can start with i don't know where, where you guys want to really springboard into i, I, I think the hooker discussions probably as good a place as any and you know we speculated in some previous shows uh whether uh, brad would go with either an 80 minute hooker or um play a utility off the bench he answered that question pretty directly in in the interview i and, felt and yeah the the, the theme of playing 80 minutes it jumped across a couple of positions, actually. 
um, mm. specifically the back row. But yeah, he, he was very, uh, very clear that he wants his dummy half to be capable of playing 80 minutes. Uh, he doesn't want to be carrying two dummy halves in a sort of normal game script. Uh, now, whether a utility is on the bench is probably a different conversation, I, I, I imagine. But uh, in terms of just out-and-out out dummy halves, uh, Lusick and, and uh, Hands are in a straight-out shootout, it looks like. Yeah, and they're both getting equal time in the NRL dummy half position at training. If, if you were down watching training, you wouldn't be able to make a call on what BA is likely to decide just yet. It's, I mean, that's that's how much opportunity both have been, both have been given. And um, it's a legitimate shootout, fifty-fifty at this point. It is an, a legitimate shootout, and if we look at what's being offered by both players now, you'd probably say, out, like both of them are fit. You'd probably say that Brendan Hands would be the fittest of the two, and probably the most versatile. When you are talking about dummy half skills, it's not a knock on Brendan Hands, but you're talking about Joey Lusick being more experienced in the role, and uh, maybe has the edge when it comes to uh, delivery of his of the pass from dummy half. So each has got factors in their favour for selection. So it really comes down to what BA wants. Now he said he wants an 80 minute player. So which one of them he thinks is more likely to play 80 minutes than the other. And like 40, he's, what I took from it is he's not going to select two hookers in the team. Mm. And as Forty said, does that then rule out a utility on the bench? And I don't believe it does. And there's something to be said for Brendan Hands in terms of his capacity to cover dummy half, the halves or, or even lock. So, you know, I don't, I don't, if he doesn't win the starting nine, I don't entirely rule him out. But mm. it's but by the same token, maybe Brad telegraphed that he's going to go with four forwards mm. in the, from that interview. So I guess it's a matter of uh, we see what unfolds in the trials, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe one or the other out of hands and Lussick gets the edge in form throughout the trials. Well, one position that isn't up for grabs is the fullback role. Um, very well, uh, I guess, uh, held by our captain, Clint Gutherson, I should say. Um, you know, uh, Brad answered some questions in relation to uh, Clint Gutherson's future. 60s, how did that leave you feeling? Well, I think Gutherson remains the best choice at fullback in the club mm. and I mean I tell you what he caught me by surprise when they were doing sprints at training on Monday because the king was absolutely motoring now first of all he's the the players weren't always competing against each other they they're doing about you know somewhere between 60 and 70 meters 
with their sprints. He was absolutely flying. I, I was stunned how fast he was. And, and there wasn't a comparison point of someone that he was running against at first. It was just, you know, that sense, he's motoring here. He's absolutely flying. And then mm. over about 50 metres, he raced uh, Mitch Moses. And there is footage that Eels Media have put up, and it's there on Instagram. I, I don't know if it's on their other platforms, but it was there on Instagram, him and uh, and Moses sprinting. And when he finished, because he finished really close to Moses, and I'm sure he, he said something like, uh, I would have had you. I had you with a legs tackle or something like that, like if he was chasing him, and and he would have, he, he would have. I mean, it was. I, I was I was really um, surprised with how much pace that the king still got at his, you know, running even more so surgery, right? I don't know if yeah, you guys yeah. caught this too, but uh, on social media on Instagram, I think uh, a random fan has sort of uh, had a complaint about the fact that our half is faster than our fullback. Uh, while carrying a ball, and there's a certain little shit stirrer on the team that has uh, tagged Mitchell Moses and Quinton Gufferson, uh, his fellow spine players, to sort of <laughs> create, <laughs> create a bit of a, a fun there. So uh, Dillbags has uh, tagged his fellow <laughs> fellow uh, spine boys, and, oh, that is some classic, and uh, uh, Moses and Guffer have jumped in and had a laugh about it. So uh, yeah. some, some good banter there yeah. on social media. Yeah, when you said a. Uh, uh his fellow spine players, <laughs> it was, yeah, you knew it had to be uh, Dylan. But uh, look, uh, and uh, Dylan and, and Mitch also had a bit of a, a race. And you know what? It was, Mitch might have just got Dylan as well. So it was, it was competitive uh, between a few players. It wasn't competitive with most that sprints. But getting back to Gutherson, we know he's not going to play forever at fullback. Mm. He's the same age as Mitch Moses. They've just turned, both just turned 29 So in September. So they're both turning 30 this year. Now, there's a bit of, there's always been that speculation within the last 12 months or so about Gutherson potentially moving to centre and that, Parramatta maybe recruits or develops someone to play fullback rather than looking to recruit a centre. Uh, they would have to be the, at least the equal of what Gutherson offers at fullback, uh, if not more, for, I think, the Eels to go changing a fullback at this stage. Because there's just, you know, it's it's not just whether Gutho's got the speed anymore in in certain plays uh in comparison to other fullbacks and what they offer in attack but it's his role as a captain now mm. how effectively would he captain out at center with Barkin at the team so any fullback coming in would have to be exceptional at organizing the defense in front of him at reading what's happening in attack from the other team, not just for organising the defensive line, but in terms of his uh, positioning on the field, um, at at getting across to cover, breaks, at defending, and um, yeah, just yeah, it, it's hard to think 
I mean, you have to be able to have those communication skills as a fullback. Anyone that goes to games and can hear fullbacks talking through a game, you know that they probably talk more than any other player out there on the field. Uh, potentially, the good fullbacks more have no at the end of a game. Correct, correct. And though though the halves are going to be talking a lot, and lots of players are going to be talking, that fullback is barking. They have to be barking constantly and telling players where to move in the defence line. They're so, anywhere from 10 metres to 50 metres away from uh, the defensive line itself. So th- th- they have to be yelling. Yeah, that's right. And you can you can pick the really good fullbacks coming through the systems or if someone's going to be a, a you know, really good fullback coming through because you can hear what they're communicating to the players in front of them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, you, you can't afford someone who's who's a bit more reserved back at fullback. So it has to be someone who's confident, who's got the communication skills and isn't afraid to bark at senior players. So if it's a young player coming through, there's a lot to ask of them because there's uh, a lot of senior players in the Parramatta team and they're going to have to be barking instructions at them from at the back, out the back. So, um, look... Do I see it happening this year? I probably don't. Um, John, what do you think? Do you think it's likely we're going to get a change at fullback? No. Uh, I did find BA's answer to that question fascinating because it was laid. And some of it was stuff that mm. we already knew. He, he mentioned again that this was something driven by Quentin Gufferson and it felt like uh, Gufferson being you know at the forefront of succession planning and having the club remain competitive in the long term as well as the now. And having someone that can, you know, supplant him eventually at fullback and allow him to transition elsewhere to make sure that the team is still competitive. But uh, he sort of then spun that question to a different uh, area where he, he gave a really fascinating answer that really, out of the entire interview, and there's a lot of great answers, this one really jumped out at me. And he said that in regards to that X-Factor player or that game-changer player, he said that NRL coaches are always greedy and that they, they always want more in that regard. And, and he sort of highlighted that the X-Factor player for him might, might not be so much a fullback, but an impact player off the bench. And so you probably think of a player like a, not so much now because he's gone to the roost at the start, but a Spencer Lenu or, you know, a player of that caliber, someone that can come on and, and sort of tilt the field in the forwards. But uh, yeah, in regards to Guffo, yeah, I think this year, 100% he's our fullback. I don't think there's any, obviously barring injury or suspension or, you know, New South Wales selection, they're the only ways he's going to be supplanted. Uh, but in the long term, I do appreciate the fact that Gufferson has the team's best, uh, you know, uh, priorities in mind, and that he's, he's he's clearly not a player that's cl- going to be clinging on to past glory and saying that this is my position, no one else can have it. He he really is thinking team first here. So, yeah, uh, it's leadership. It's yeah, leadership. That, that that is out and out leadership. Absolutely, Quint. Um, someone that you know can can see the big picture too. Uh, and it's very hard, is it? When you're an, an elite player and you're among the best in your field, it is very difficult to let go of those kind of things. And the fact that Gufferson has uh, already seen the forest for the trees as opposed to the alternative, you know, speaks well of his character and, and his understanding of the game. Um, but, you know, he's coming off a pretty good season. And I, I mean, I, I don't, don't say that lightly, he had a, a pretty good year. Um, and, yeah, I think the way he's training this it's always weird that that year after World Cup seems to treat the all so much better, but he seems to be having a fantastic preseason. Um, I don't know if he you know, just had the right amount of time off and, and managed to recharge the batteries perfectly, but I think he's, he's primed for a big year, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can produce. And look, 
while we're talking about players that uh, are looking really good in the preseason, I've mentioned it in training reports, but I, I do want to mention it for those that enjoy listening to the podcast. Will Penasini is like he, he's training out of his skin. He's it's the best that I've seen him look in a preseason, and I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we are about to see the best of Sean Russell because BA mentioned uh, about Sean Russell bulking up in mm. in this preseason. He looks every inch the rugby league athlete at the moment. So he's, he's I believe he's about 97, 98 kgs now, Sean Russell. No, that's, that's considerably heavier than what he entered last year. That would be about seven, eight kilos heavier than what he began last year at. Yeah, and considering Sean would be, uh, like I'm guessing around 6'3", something like that. I mean, he's he's very much the type of build that you'd like as a winger. And we've always known that he's been a player of great promise. He's had injury setbacks over the years. He's part of that group of players, and Will was amongst it, who missed an entire year of football due to COVID because they were at that uh, Jersey flag level. Uh, I think it was when uh, we lost the year of lower-grade football uh, because of um, COVID. So, you know, there's there was like a year of development that a lot of them lost there. And, you know, maybe this is his time uh, coming into it. But, yeah, he as I said, he looks every bit the rugby league athlete at the moment. He's having a very good uh, pre-season. So it's... Look, I think if you're, if you're looking at the two wingers... Maybe there's more pressure on Mike Acevo than there is on Sean Russell to perform. So uh, interesting times just there. But I thought I'd mention that as well. And uh, just a quick question I want to throw back to you now, Forty. You mentioned what BA said about um, maybe that X factor is an impact off the bench. By virtue of bench construction, we're talking about a forward. Mm-hmm. Have they recruited that forward in Kelmo to Alungi? Well, he, he gave a, another good answer on Kelmo, and uh, I suppose the answer to that would be no, and that's not in a negative sense because he was indicating that he wants Tualangi to be an 80-minute back rower. So by, yes. by, by that fact, you can't be an X-factor off the bench. You can certainly <laughs> be an X-factor on the field. Uh, and he, he spoke very highly of Tuolangi's athleticism, his understanding of the game, his ball skills, and, uh, and you know, just talked about how, you know, essentially getting him uh, to be an 80-minute player is now the goal. So he, he obviously has something there that he likes from the off-season recruit from Manly, uh, and it's now about getting him into the ill system and, and getting him playing Parramatta football, which we've seen of our back rollers. Uh, they're a huge part of our game plan, and what makes us such a frustrating matchup for some of the biggest teams in the competition. Well, that really becomes interesting then too because he talked about Hopgood being an 80-minute player. He's talking about the back rowers, the edge players, being 80-minute players. He wants an 80-minute dummy half. So then we're talking about 
in in his ideal world that the rotations only involve the props, the middle. It sure sounds like it, doesn't it? And and it may be you know a flexible option that if something's gone awry in terms of a uh, injury or you know just anything that can happen in a football game, someone gets nicked up, someone gets simbin, you have to adapt your middle rot- uh, your edge rotation otherwise. But yeah, it sounds like in general he wants uh, his uh, impact guys being come being uh, rotational middle players. Yeah, and I, I probably don't see there being four middles on the bench. It's, to me, I think there will be um, a player who can play back row on the bench as well for, you know, that little bit of uh, extra versatility for the forwards. I mean, I guess Hopgood would be able to, you know, fill that role if the, if one of the back rowers went off injured. But, see, I see Sean Lane and Bryce Cartwright as the starters, but maybe he's looking at, at Tuolungi as a starter ahead of Cartwright and Cartwright being that, maybe Versa- that X factor. Versatile X factor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, given that at a pinch he could push out to a 5'8 or a centre, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. Anyway, but I, I guess, Clint, that then puts us to, uh, given that I've just said centre, um. <laughs> Who, who it was brought up in the interview? Who gets that centre role? Well, yeah, it, it, it's been a, um, a a topic of discussion in a lot of your uh, training reports, sixties. Um, that obviously uh, Will Panasini has the right centre position locked down. Um, it's between incumbent left centre Bailey Simonson and new recruit from Manly Morgan Harper as who gets the uh, the other centre spot, and um, you know they, they're both hotly contesting that position, much like the uh, the hooker between uh, Lassick and Hands. So, you know, um, it, it, it's good as well that this level of competition does exist because you want players putting this type of pressure on each other. It hopefully breeds um, the best out of um, each of the players that are competing for those respective positions. But, you know, um, I, I, I think we discussed uh, um, prior to the Christmas break that um, or you sixties in your report, uh, I think you'd suggested that Morgan Harper had, had edged ahead um, in the team list that you'd put together. Um, but you know, uh, at the same time, incumbency and loyalty does count for something within the Arthur regime. You know, um, this is a, something that I feel will only be answered uh, in the trials. Forty, is that the same from uh, from your perspective? Yeah, th- this definitely feels like a a contest that's going to go down to the trials. Um, like you said, 60s report seems to indicate that Morgan Harper might have a slight edge. And uh, Brad certainly spoke about him being... It was interesting because he spoke about him being bigger in person than he fought, uh, mm. sort of leaned himself more towards being a... a def- not, not like he said he was an out-and-out, one-side-of-the-ball player, but more of a defensive centre. Uh, he said that you know he, he's chirpy on the field, but at training he's got a you know great character, which I think isn't lost on coaches. They like that sort of thing guys that can get the right balance on and off the field. So, yeah, he was quite positive about Harper. Certainly didn't, you know, lock him in by any means, which is why I think this will go to the trials. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've been surprised. I mean, I, if you go back in the podcast, uh, the, the, it's, the receipts there, I, I certainly wasn't big on the Harper acquisition. Um, but it seems like he's been a pretty good fit for our, our team at training. 
Um, so, you know, if I have to end up eating crow there, I will happily eat crow. If a player is playing better than I thought, that's always good. That's uh, not, not me getting frustrated by any means. So I hope, <laughs> I hope he does well. And I, I got to say, there was a, a little bit of me that was like Monty Burns in that softball episode of The Simpsons and, you know, shave your sideburns. And once he, once he got the haircut, he, he, he looked a lot better and became suddenly a, a much more appealing recruit. So well done to Harper in that regard. And I, and I hope he makes a real fist of it. I hope that he and Bowie Simonson go hammer and tongs and make this a fantastic contest because that gives us depth at centre. And it's something that we need. Well, it's, oh, I was just going to say there, um, uh, just before we move on from, from that, uh, would you call it, hopefully, the reverse Samson with the haircut there? Yeah, from exa- exactly. I mean, he actually looks quite sharp with the short hair after uh, a good amount of time with uh, the, the ratty long hair. I thought it was a good fit for him. So, yeah, hopefully it is a reverse Samson and it brings out the best in him. Uh, but, you know, he, he's had some really nice media work with the club. Um, anyone that caught him any sort of introductory stuff with the media department and how his son is a mad para fan and, you know. Uh, he, he did, he did himself very well. He, he certainly, he certainly pulled the well. right strings there, didn't he? he, he yep. is, he's presented himself <laughs> really well. And that, that comes in line with what Brad was saying about how he's been really good on the training paddock and, you know, as much as he can be a pest, I, he didn't say it, but in so many words, he said that he can be a pest on the field and be, you know, confrontational and be pressing buttons for the opposition. He, he seems to have been a really good fit for the team at training, which is good to hear. And I, I look, I was able to get a few words with him before Christmas, and uh, he, I asked him about his son, and he said he doesn't know how it happened, but yeah, he, he is a he is a full on Parramatta supporter. Uh, he said he was loving it at the club, the the coaches, the facilities, the boys. He said it was uh, closer for him to travel to than over at Manly, and uh, the other thing too is. Look, I had him edging ahead based on what I was seeing prior to Christmas. Uh, Simonson's had uh, a good amount of time at centre in uh, the start of this it, this last couple of weeks. It's it's again, it's like the lustic and hands battle. I don't know how right now. I don't know how I was going to call it. What you've got is you've got Bailey Simonson, who is more the flashy type of centre. So he's got a bit more pace. Um, He will, I guess he'll try different things. We've seen it. We've seen it not come off. He threw that whopping intercept pass in one of the games last year. But he's, he's got that capacity to beat his opponent but uh, is he better suited at centre or wing? Look, I think he's probably better suited to centre. But, um, mm. you know, then you've got someone like Morgan Harper. And here's how I describe him, fellas. I describe him as a more aggressive Tom Opachik, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, he's a steady centre, but he's got, as has been discussed, he's got that niggle and that aggression in how he plays the game. Um, I think he's uh, a very professional player like Opacic was, knows what has to be done, gets it done. Um, and as I said, I think uh, that Bailey Simonson is is more of a player who's going to like push a couple of risks out on the field. 
I don't know that Morgan Harper does that. I think he's a steadier player. Um, and, you know, I guess it comes down to what BA's preference is there. We definitely had a Tom opachik size hole in the roster last year. So if Morgan mm. Harper can step into that void, um, I imagine he'll endear himself to fans very quickly. I, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, and, and certainly the chat in the grandstand throughout season 2023 was, we miss, we're missing Tom, you know, and um, uh, I, I think it's helpful to have those two different types of archetypes of players, if you want to call them as such, because, it, again, it, it's options, you know, and uh, I really like having, um, uh, I guess, again, for lack of a better phrase, um, plug and play options. It allows you to have a variety of different styles, and you know we, we probably haven't really seen it and Parramatta since Brian Smith's days. And you know this isn't Brad's coaching style per se, but I like having different archetypes of players. That if you want to play to the opposition that you've got each week, you know that you've got a certain style of player in the squad who matches up well with the opposition that you're coming up against each week. Um, I like having the option of that. Um, you know, if, if I think back to the, the victory we had in uh, 2023 against South Sydney, um, you know, it, it probably wasn't the worst thing that some of our bigger forwards were unavailable and some of our smaller forwards were there because we were able to combat some of that um, speed in the middle third that South possess um, and, and cut off their decision-making and frustrate them a little bit um, and, and ultimately allowed us to finish over the top of them. So, you know, it's it's good to have options and it's good to have different types of archetypes of players. And, you know, I, I, I like that we've got someone who's a little bit more attacking focused and a little bit more of a rich taker in Bailey Simonson, someone who's a little bit more um, defensively sound. And, um, you know, I'm going to say optimistically cautious um, in Morgan Harper there. You know, um, I, I was like 40. I, I wasn't initially on board with this signing, but the more you see and more the layers are, are being peeled back from this orange, the more I'm starting to like what I'm starting to see. Um, gents, look, one of the things that um, we haven't covered as much yet from this interview is some of the younger players that um, uh, Brad Arthur touched on, most notably Ethan Sanders and um, his role at the club in season 24. Uh, Brad essentially stipulated that he won't be here in season 2025, which we uh, touched on numerous times over the course of the last uh, couple of months. Um, but he was also questioned about his son, Matt, and some of the other younger boys coming through the squad. Um, 60s, what was your take on uh, some of those development players that Brad spoke about in his interview? Okay, well, let's, let's first of all look at Ethan Sanders. It's To me, it's a no-brainer that uh, Sanders was kept for 2024 and not given an early release to go to Canberra. Why? Well, he is actually the backup half. If something happens to Moses or Brown, then in all likelihood, Ethan Sanders is going to be the one that will be called up. There isn't, uh, I mean, I, I guess Dejan Arce could be considered an option if Brad wanted to go down that path. But apart from that, the other options really are Josh Lynn and Blaze Talangi. And Blaze has probably played more in the outside backs than in the halves in the last 12 months, um, both in the uh, SG ball and Jersey flag uh, last season, and made a very good fist of those positions. Prior to that, 
he was known as a 5'8". But um, I think given the need for someone to specialise in those positions, you'd be looking at someone like Ethan Sanders being uh, first to be called up if there's someone that's missing uh, in the halves. Um, whether he stays or goes, it's, it's probably more likely that Ethan would be leaving. He's going to attract offers of probably at least 500000 a season because there just isn't the playmakers. There aren't the playmakers, sorry, out there on the market. There are very few uh, playmakers, genuine playmakers anyway. He's the incumbent uh, under-20s origin halfback, so he's quite high profile for a teenage half. And as such, he's going to attract offers. He's going to look at what might be his quickest path to first grade, who who he, he doesn't want to, he won't go to a weak team just for the opportunity. Um, he'll go to where he thinks he'll get good support and uh, where his best opportunities are. And also, I guess, the, the club that offers um, a, a contract that's commensurate with what someone in his position is likely to be offered. Can Parramatta afford to pay? Another five hundred thousand dollars to someone in the halves when they're already investing what must be close to two million dollars on their two halves right now. You'd have to say no, wouldn't you? Yeah. And like in the realistic, uh, you know. As, so, as BA, matter of fact, we pointed out in the interview, you mentioned that he is the incumbent New South Wales twenties, nineteens, twenties half. Likewise, in in Parramatta, he has the incumbent New South Wales half ahead of him. And I know that you, you can talk about Cleary being the de facto pick there, but the fact is Moses was the last starting half for New South Wales. The incumbent New South Wales, uh, New South Wales, New Zealand 5 uh in Dylan Brown. So unless you're a hardcore uh, sort of a subscriber to the idea of moving uh, Dylan Brown or the like to fullback to, to you know, facilitate this move, the, the reality is, unfortunately, that the timing is just off in terms of the, the club succession there, that we don't have the spot available in the starting six or seven for Ethan Sanders right now. And that's just a... It happens in rugby league. Sometimes the timing isn't right, and we would love to keep him, and I imagine we're doing everything we can to convince him to stay. But if you know any ambitious young halfback is going to want to be the guy for a team, he doesn't want to be the second fiddle. He wants to be the number seven. And the reality is, behind Mitchell Moses, he's not going to be the guy unless something happens to Mitch in terms of injury or suspension. Yeah, and uh, it's also interesting because uh, I'm yet to see the uh, Jersey flag list at the moment, but I'm not sure who'd be playing half in the Jersey flag. And, uh, you know, there might be a bit of a, a gap in terms of when, like, Sanders leaves and who then becomes the backup halfback at Parramatta moving forward. They so will be on the roster right yeah, now. Yeah, that, that's I guess that's a discussion for another day. Uh, Clint, you also uh, mentioned about the uh, specifics around Brad's son, Matt Arthur, or Boods, as we call him. Anyone who's seen this young bloke play knows 
use the talent he's got and not just the talent, but just how tough he is, how competitive he is. He's um, he was the the dummy half that absolutely slayed the other dummy halves in the SG ball this season and was quite frankly ridiculously unlucky not to get that uh, New South Wales 19s origin dummy half roll. It was just, yeah, it, it was it was a tough call because it went to um, a Penrith player who I think was a bit more of a utility rather than as a, a dummy half. Now, uh, Woods will be still 19 this season, so he's still in line. He could get that gig in 2024 at 19's origin. But look, he's he's scheming, he's tough. Um, as I said, he's competitive. He will play New South Wales Cup this year. Uh, BA's hasn't rushed him because Woods is about to turn 19. Jake was playing first grade at 18 due to circumstance. Wasn't uh, BA wasn't rushing him. I, sh- I want to make that clear. You know, circumstances meant that he needed to use Jake when Jake was 18. And we all know the story about Jake and, and, and you know, he's been forced to um, get an opportunity at Manly and it also took him away from some of the rabid elements in, in the supporter base who were just mercilessly going after him on social media for you know, no reason whatsoever, really. I mean, it's it was ridiculous, some of the things that were being said about Jake. And Jake will be a success at, at, at Manly. He's already had his contract extended by, their, by that club. So that'll give you an idea. All those people who used to say that he wouldn't get a gig elsewhere, well, think again, people, because not only was he his contract taken by Manly, they've since extended his deal. So he's part of their plans going forward. When it comes to Matt, uh, Matty ideally probably wants a couple more kilos on him. But right now, his skill set could play NRL. Right now. he's He goes really well at training. Um, he's as fit as. He's got a great combination with Ethan Sanders and Josh Lynn. They've come through SG Ball together. They've come through Jersey Flag together. They'll probably play alongside each other in New South Wales Cup. Um, as for all the other players, look, what I can say about them as a group, Clint, is that they are proving that the training, that NRL training isn't beyond them. And we will we know that that's a talented bunch. In terms of numbers, this has been the greatest number of potential NRL players to come through in the one group that we've had at Parramatta for a long time. Now, whether they can all transition to that NRL level remains to be seen because a lot of them now will be getting their first experience playing open-age football when they play New South Wales Cup. And a number of them will probably still start the season in Jersey Flag. But, yeah, just in terms of sheer numbers, this is a big group. There's a lot of talent in the group and there's a lot to look forward to with them. And, and, and I guess we'll see what's going to happen. And look, and that's 
that's ignoring the fact that you've got blokes that I think are going to have a good season, um, especially uh, – I'm talking about fringe players – especially someone like Luca Moretti, who mm. uh, he's, he's a development contract player, got his debut last year, and look, I, I think he's primed to also make a mark this season. I've got no question about the depth in our forwards, and the depth is not just in the, the forwards with some first-grade experience. It's also there in the pathways players coming through. So well, anyone I that's think... listened to our reports and, and live blogs of this particular group of players will immediately be able to single out a few names that are part of that preseason where you don't want to put undue hype on these kids and, and the pressure that comes with it. But like you said, Sixies, this group has the potential to be the biggest collective group of first graders we've produced in a long time. And I think there's plenty of overhead in that, you know, definition of a first grader too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's interesting times ahead. I, I wrote a spotlight piece today about the challenges in retention and recruitment now. it's. I think 2024 is a challenging year because there's still an element of unknown about that such a talented group. More will obviously be known after this year and maybe during this year itself, but still decisions are being made now about what to spend the limited funds that all teams have via the salary cap. Do you spend it on big-name recruits? Do you upgrade talented players that are coming through? So, look, it's, they're, they're tough calls to be made. And, and when is a player to be elevated to the NRL squad? When should they be on development contracts? These are – or or, or even – um, deals that aren't even development contracts because like, I was just talking about uh, Matt Arthur. Matt Arthur's not on development contract. He doesn't go on to a development contract until next year. So when we're talking about players not being rushed, he's the epitome of that because, you know, there, there were plenty of people out there who, were, you know, have liked to just bag and, you know, they said, oh, you know, he's just going to be given a saloon passage. Well, he's hardly been given a salute passage when it comes to contracts. And there's plenty of those young players that are his, are his peers who have been given contracts above the level that he's been given. And, you know, I'd, I'd venture to say that uh, for someone like uh, like Woodsy, that would, that would simply be a challenge to him now, just to keep proving that he's the real deal, which I have no question that he is. He's got plenty of peers there who, look, it was a successful SG ball team for a reason. It didn't rely on one or two players to get that job done. There was a collection of really good players who have that NRL potential in front of them. And, um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see which of the the forwards, for example, earn a debut first earn an NRL debut? Will it be a back rower like Charlie Geimer? Will it be a front rower like Sam Tuavaiti? It's, I mean, these are all the names that were mentioned in BA's interview with Crawley. Um, so it's no secret that the, you know, players like that are ones that are in the uh, spotlight. And then you've got a player like Jock Brazel, who 
was up and getting a little bit of New South Wales Cup experience last year, uh, as well as you know the main role in the flag. And he's he's what a year or so older than that group of players coming through, but he's still very young himself. So, you know, where does where will where will he be this season? Will he get a shot? You know, he'll probably be New South Wales Cup regular, but will he be in the line to get a shot? Um, or does it end up being someone like Ethan Sanders because one of the halves is down? Or maybe Blaze Talungi if someone if one of the outside backs has a problem. So yeah, interesting times ahead. And um I don't know if there's anything either of you two want to add. I just wanted to add right now from that interview, I thought BA came across really confident. I know it's not a spoken mm. but I thought he was really self assured in those answers that he gave. And not that he shouldn't be as a as a first grade coach, but do you know what they there was no dodging any answers. There wasn't any um, answers where you thought, oh, he hasn't really given a straightforward response in, mm. in there. He really stepped into it, didn't he? Yeah, and that's probably a good way of putting it, Clint. He really stepped into his answers. Dare, like, dare we say he chased the collision? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, Crawley touched on the fact of the, you know, the natural disappointment that comes with making a grand final and then missing the subsequent final series. And, you know, Brad, there was no revelatory response there. Brad, you know, answered the way I think most fans would have felt. We probably didn't manage some of the recruitment and retention the way we should have. And uh, on top of that, there was – and he didn't go out of his way to single out the players, but fans know who messed up off the field in season 2023. And um, I think the flip side of that was the fact that he mentioned – in that answer, he didn't mention specific players, but in a separate answer, he spoke about Dylan Brown – and and the fact that you know that incident didn't reflect who he is, but uh, it was interesting just hearing him talk about how Dylan, as you know, a footballer is, and it's hard to imagine a coach like Arthur playing favourites, but it sure feels like Dylan might be, uh, you know, the one of the favourites of the team for him. Yeah, he, look, I guess I don't think I, I think Brad would have a genuine appreciation of young people being prone to stuff up from time to time. Um, and it's not not from the point of view of making excuses for them or that sort of thing, but from the point of view of own it and I'll give you an opportunity to move on from it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's he would have communicated to Dylan, I think he said it elsewhere, um, he knows he owes us. Like he said that he, Dylan knows what he owes the players and and probably the you know the the coaches and the fans after last year. But I'm glad that he said what he said there. That what happened last year doesn't define who Dylan is in any way, shape, or form. And we know that as well about Dylan. You know from our interactions with him and seeing the sort of person that he is and seeing the work that he's put in over the years with, um, you know, the, the giant steps and, um, you know, his, his, his charity work, his work with the community, just, and if you've ever seen him in action talking to young people, right, he's just really good at communicating with them, at making connections. 
he's and he's a he is a genuine family person, and the, the club has made that possible because the club did help the family to stay connected, and you know the his family was able to move to Australia, and that really helped uh, Dylan to. I guess become a part of the Parramatta family as well. So, um, look, I thought it was a great interview overall, um, Clint and John. I, I'm it, and my feedback is nothing was altered in those answers. There, you know, there wasn't no. any edit. That was that was straight out responses to those questions. And like you, forty, um, I thought it was I thought it was a, a, a good set of questions that was. That was put there. It was, yeah, as you said, it was actually journalism in action, and we'd like to see more of that. So it, it asked Absolutely. for probably probably fans were interested in in uh, knowing the answers to. Here, here, um, and and that's probably a, a good place to leave that um, part of the discussion because uh, John, it's now time for, for well. Probably a delayed halftime now. We certainly had a, a big first half here and probably much to the appreciation of our listeners, some more Parramatta discussion um, than some of our shows in recent weeks. But, John, it's uh, it's time for you to introduce the uh, the halftime, quote-unquote, music for us. Well, once upon a time, there was a, a small and not really well-known rapper called uh, the Notorious Big E. And he, uh, <laughs> he, he did... He had a, a small song that people didn't really understand at the time, and the, the sort of the main line of it was "Give me the loot, give me the loot," and people probably got a little bit mistaken about what kind of loot he was talking about, and they didn't get it back then. But a couple of decades later, the internet sort of caught up, and they're they're now delivering the sort of loot that I think the notorious Big wanted. So this is where we're going this week. <laughs> beautiful piece of uh, the 1999 hit All Star by Smash Mouth played through on the uh, well, is, a lute, is it, that's, I know it's obviously European, that's, is that a medieval? Yeah, um, so it, it, is a, it is a sub-genre of music that has become popular in recent years called and I kid you not, uh, not, not for heavy metal fans, but Bardcore so instead of hardcore, <laughs> it's Bardcore <laughs> So, so, so would that would that also include things like a harpsichord being used yeah, yeah, for the, some the, of these the, covers? Yeah, the, some of the compositions, uh, and I imagine most of them are done digitally, given that there are some impressive uh, musical software suites now. But uh, yeah, there, there is mostly lute driven, but there is um, hand drums and uh, harp chords and whatnot. And yeah, some of the stuff is very, very impressive. But you know, you get all kinds of genres covered, whether it's meme music, like uh, the uh, remember the. Was it Nigerian funeral music? Uh, Astronomy uh, yep. You get stuff like that done. You get uh, genuine hip hop and rap stuff done. Uh, you get uh, you know classic like eighties and nineties classics. Uh, I think there's some uh, uh, tainted love or whatever it is, uh, cell and whatnot, and a few other things like that. So uh, it's a 
very odd genre on YouTube, but it's uh, pretty impressive, the uh, execution. You know, I, I give it a 10 out of 10 for some of the way. It's not always, <laughs> not always uh, as, as you'd imagine it would translate, but the vision of some of these people to put it together is very impressive. I love it, mate. Bardcore. You know, there I was, <laughs> there I was thinking that the lute is one of the most underappreciated in stringed instruments in uh, in the world, and there it is. There, it's that a, there is its quite, own quite literal renaissance for the lute. Yes, go. <laughs> very good, mate. Very good. You haven't you've, I think you've excelled this week. <laughs> Well, obviously, with that, that uh, we hope that you've um, in enjoying uh, the loot rendition of Smash Mouth's um, uh, hit All Star. Uh, had the opportunity to have a break as we uh, segue now into our NRL news segment. And, gents, we kick off uh, this part with um, news that uh, had sort of been lingering in the background today, but it was confirmed that David Nofaluma um, has parted ways with the West Tigers after receiving a termination notice and getting a 300K payout from his existing contract. Um, John, um, this is uh, a pretty big news. Um, you know, and and uh, there's obviously, uh, uh, I guess, um, implications for the RLPA and potential involvement here because it, it's been some time since we've seen a player just cut, essentially. Yeah, so he, he's been feuding with West Tigers management since before Christmas and there was talk of a, a, essentially a holdout over unfair training conditions and, and a few other things. And obviously then there was the seismic shakeup of management on, at the Tigers as the board got ousted and replaced. And um, that's obviously led to some, you know, sort of uh, pebbles becoming a, an avalanche in this regard. But yeah, the, the fact that they've... Was there a breach notice then? If, if they've been able to fire him without full pay, but they've also given him a, a, a payout, like what... What is the background there, there? There'd have to be, right? Because, you know, uh, there'd be something in, in industrial relations that um, would stipulate that that has to take place. And, you know, we might not be privy to that as the public. I'm sure a lot of that stuff has happened behind closed doors. But let's um, suggest for a moment it hasn't. Oh, boy. Well, the Tigers w would then have a mess on their hands. Well, that, that would mean that there's two very important, I mean, almost landmark cases for the RLPA uh, between Nofaluma and Volkman, if they, you know, if as you said, Quint, mm. that there wasn't a, a sufficient breach notice to terminate the contract, um, and, but given that there was a training holdout, I'm sure that they would have some grounds to at least argue. Uh, but yeah, it's fascinating. This has been a, a saga that's been dragged out for, a, and, and even we talked about before Christmas. This has gone on for years. Nofaluma has mm. been, you know, dropped to reserve grade a number of times. He was loaned out to the Melbourne Storm. He's been a constant figure of, you know, potentially parting ways every time his contract's been up, including the Parramatta Eels have been linked to him in the past. Uh, but he he's always, and I say, stayed true to the Tigers, but he's, he's been compensated handsomely every time he's become a free agent <laughs> by the Tigers. And and he certainly, look, he, he is a flawed player, and you can question his work ethic, uh, which, again, the, the Tigers culturally aren't exactly a great fit for a player that might have uh, less than stellar personal drive. But... As much as he is a flawed player, he's also been a dynamo on offense. He's been a, a meter eater, a tackle breaker uh, for years. So I'm very interested to see what his market is as a free agent now um, because obviously there's a link to the Melbourne Storm there from the past. Will they be interested in him? The Eels, you know, once upon a time were interested in him. I'm not sure if that interest is still there, even if we do have questions in our back line. 
I know another team that's been linked to him very quickly was St. George, given that they've got money and, and sort of want any sort of, you know, decent player. But, yeah, where he lands is interesting, but it's not nearly as interesting as the potential backdrop here as to, you know, and I imagine there's going to be some dirty laundry being aired on both sides mm. via the media in the coming days and weeks. Uh, but, yeah, he, he still walks away with a $300,000 handshake, a uh, golden handshake, which is more than most of us can say. Um, so, Well, 60s, that 300K, you would think he's accepted as opposed to holding his ground because he's potentially got something else lined up? Well, I think for a start, if he's accepted a 300000 payout and therefore not taken the opportunity to speak to the board and put his case forward, that, in my mind, he's prob- that probably negates any potential um, legalities around what happened. Well, it wouldn't with- be the legalities of firing him, but maybe the circumstances that led to the breach notice in the first instance. That might be something that's still up for debate. And he's gone, let's cut, let's cut ties now and lawyers can work out the rest. Yeah, possibly. It's, I, I messaged a mate of mine who's a huge Tiger supporter and um, he, just, he just simply said like, he hopes he does well wherever he goes to, um, that he thinks that they're probably a bit light on in the outside backs um, because they have lost other talent as well, the Tigers. Um, I guess there's, I guess there's an opportunity for pathways players to come up and grab their shot in the NRL, but it wouldn't be a week in NRL news without the Tigers featuring. No, it wouldn't. And look, on the one hand, although there might be some question about the morality behind the process, like you were alluding to, Clint, we we don't know, but there could be. Um, on the one hand, I, I do applaud the decision from a macro sense because I think that getting rid of some as much of the, the bad, negative, old culture as possible for Benji to have a clean slate is important. And I think that Nofaluma was, by most metrics, the really the last of the old guard in that, re- in that regard. So I think getting rid of him is certainly positive. But um, one of their strengths last season in a, in a team that was very ordinary, it has to be said, was you know the back line. They had uh, Buller at fullback. I remembered his name this time, guys. I'm getting there. And uh, young, <laughs> young junior Tupo, who really you know burst out of the blocks and looked like a game wrecker for him. But they've lost Tupo. Well, not for this season, mm. but they've lost Tupo in the big picture. He's off to the Dolphins, who have got a co- like – is it a nuclear arms race up there for their back line? They have recruited <laughs> nothing but, like, outstanding, either proven backs or, you know, prospects. It's, so they're, 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 They've got a collection of sport cars there. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Now, whether they've got the driver for it is a question, but uh, <laughs> the, the, the garage is very impressive. Um, but, yeah, the, the Tigers, no Faluma – I think it was the right call, but uh, their back line, they need these young kids from their talented SG Bourne and, and flag team to make that transition. And as, as we know, that you can't really count on that all the time because that conversion rate from talented prospect to proven NRL producer, it, it's difficult. Well, what do you think? Do you think he's going to get offers? I guess you'd think if he was someone that did exactly what he was asked to do down in Melbourne, that Melbourne might assess him based on his time spent with them before. You'd all, but you'd also, and you'd also look at, as you said, clubs that are desperate 
for NRL playing talent like the Dragons. But outside of that, given the what has been said about his attitude and incidents, other NRL clubs would probably steer away from him without even having mm-hmm. to do any due diligence. I mean, I suppose that the relevant question is, and this isn't a, a suggestion that Eels need to sign him, but from a Parramatta perspective, and this, this probably informs you of a top eight contender perspective, given what we know about him and, and given, you know, the, the caveats, the, the positives that do come with him being a, a meter eater and a tackle buster, if you're the Parramatta Eels or a prospective contender or fancy yourself as a contender, what, what sort of contract do you think is fair for a guy that comes with cultural potential cultural issues whether he's going to buy in or not, like, but you, you know that there is attacking upside there. Where where do you set the trial? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that is something that along a lot of fans I've spoken to today has popped up, and obviously he's going to feel that his market is significantly higher than that. Um, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what sort of market he gets from contenders, because you know if St George offer him several hundred thousand dollars a year, that's one thing. They're a team that is light on playing resources and has a lot of cap space that they need to burn through. So it wouldn't be a surprise if they splurge a bit. But whether it's Melbourne, whether it's the Roosters, whether it's, you know, I don't know, Penrith. Penrith don't mind taking a punt on a a player like that. Um, Is he going to get a training trial? Is he going to get a bit above, you know, minimum contract? I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's training and trial. And and you know what? Given what was said about him at training and that he's not meeting the standards that they want, again, there's going to be clubs that will steer away from him because we're into the back end of the preseason. Yeah, and and you should be starting to hit top gear in that regard. Yeah, so that's why, you know, that's another reason why I think um, clubs are more likely to go the train and trial, and uh, you know what if he if he doesn't measure up on the training track before even a game's been played, well then there's nothing lost. They just cut ties. Mm. Well, one player who certainly won't be having a train and trial deal, gentlemen, is uh, Brandon Hamueli, who. Uh, um, as of today, uh, uh, news broke that the Warriors have offered him a $2.2 million, uh deal over three years. I think that would put it at, what, about math off the top of my head, $733,333 mm-hmm. repeater per season. Um, 60s. Um, very interesting development there. Does Brandon Hamueli strike you as a player worth that value? And is he worth that value to the Warriors? Now, in my personal assessment, and this is just a personal opinion, I see him as an impact player, probably a player that I'd be carrying on the bench to come in and make that change in a game. Mm. 733000 for a player in that role, probably not. I'm not saying that he couldn't be a starting prop, not in any way, shape or form. However... I'd probably would have thought his value would be somewhere in the four to five hundred thousand mark. If I'm him, if I'm his player agent, I'm saying yes, I'll take that because I think that will be a career high contract offer. This, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. This signing is a driven by need because the Warriors have lost a high profile prop, 
to the Cronulla Sharks uh, in uh, surprise circumstances. I know that they were resigned to losing Adam Fenor Blake to a Sydney team, but the Sharks sort of came from the clouds late in the process to win the deal very late in the day, which makes me think Need obviously is facilitating the signing primarily, but is there a degree of pettiness here? Like, is this a, you signed our guy, so we're going to get your guy, uh, you know, no matter what the cost is? Because Hamanuele is a good player. Like, you, you watch him and, and he can have an impact on a game. But when, like you said, 60s, when you're getting into that bracket above $700,000 for a middle forward, especially for a middle forward that uh, isn't necessarily a 60-minute-plus contributor, uh, so you're, you're fitting more into that, you know, impact role off a bench or in a rotational starting uh, capacity, you've got to be very productive. And Hamanuele, as much as he can have a, a good play, and, and more than a good play, he can have good games in him. Yeah, this feels like a stretch for the Warriors. And this is a, a I don't know, like it is need maybe multiplied by a degree of pettiness perhaps. Yeah. It, it, look, it could be. Uh, maybe it's just a happy, uh, a, a great happenstance that when they've gone looking to see who they can recruit and they've seen he's available at the Sharks. Oh, the Sharks. Oh, hey, that works out well, people. So maybe <laughs> maybe it's happenstance, but uh, if it does come off, it's probably a beautiful thing for them when all mm. sitting. So, yeah. Sometimes you just have to pay to get what you... Well, what you want, and you know, this is certainly no knock on on the Warriors in New Zealand, but you know, he's obviously uh, Brendan Hamlin, Hamlin Ueli. It is a tongue twister for me. <laughs> um, he's um, you know uh, uh, quite comfortable and established in Cronulla. Um, you know, sometimes you have to pay an international tax to get a player to to, to cross over, similar to the way that um, Canberra has to pay um, a little bit extra to get players down there. Unless, of course, you're from the north of England and you can't tell the difference. Um, but um, we move on, gents, um, from um, Brandon Hamueli possibly hitting um, or meeting his Alan Sugar there um, to a little bit of bizarre news and certainly something that wasn't on my bingo card this year. I doubt it was on either of your twos. Uh, but Matt Burton, the flat earther, uh, what's that all about, 40? Yeah, so he was on the... Uh was it Let's Trot podcast with uh, Josh Mansour, the source? And uh, I think that it must have been like a viewer question in an envelope that they handed to Burton. And uh, I, I don't know what prompted the viewer to, to send us into the podcast, but essentially he asked Burton about uh, whether he believes, in, in, in more words than this, but whether he believes the earth is round or flat. And yeah, Burton... Burton gave a very roundabout answer where he said, along the lines of he believes the earth is round but also flat. So he was having a, you know, the best. So that there's a permanent, that we're in a yeah. zone. Yeah, so it was a bit of a, a bit of having it both ways, which I don't really know how you can have, excuse me, uh, how you can have as a flat earth versus the more logical spherical uh, satellite in space. But uh, yeah, Burton, Burton had a bit of a, a bite both ways. And I've got to be said, I mean, we know that footballers don't always have the brightest responses, but this one's pretty bad. And it immediately brought to me, to my mind, this response. What you've just said yeah. is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything 
that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy may on your God soul. God have mercy on your soul. A little, bit of, a little bit of Billy Madison there, and look, one of the great, it, one of the great movie lines. Yeah, Ma- Billy Madison, Adam Sandler, always a cracker in that regard. But it, it is easy to play tall poppy syndrome here and, and tear down, you know, a bit of a sports celebrity there. But that that is a very, I don't know if it's reflective of a wider societal issue. Um, I've noticed that well, there, are, there are more flat earthers now than it feels like there ever were uh, with the propagation of just stupid shit in social media. Uh, but I'm not surprised the footballer has a bad opinion on that thing. Uh, I am, even so, I am always disappointed when it happens, just because use a bit of common sense. Like, can I just? Well, can I, I? I have just one thing to say on this: stay in school, kids. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, well for, for me, gents, I actually don't have a problem with anyone having any belief, and you know, even even on something like this as long as you understand why it is you have that opinion and he couldn't articulate yeah. why he thought that and you know and then he quickly backtracked and wanted to play both sides of things and then wanted to move on there's nothing wrong with having an opinion about anything if that's something if that's a belief he legitimately holds he should be when um subject to question and um uh being pushed on why he thinks that have a coherent answer otherwise he's just simply repeating something someone else's viewpoint and someone else's belief that he's heard somewhere else and he's picked up and what is probably a reflection of as you touched on there 40 is that he's picked up something along social media he's gone down a rabbit hole and he's gone oh yeah i now think that as opposed to going and asking himself the question okay well in seeing that why do i now think that and you know i i, I actually think that's the bigger societal problem mm-hmm. that exists is that a lot of people are adopting beliefs and and taking on um, viewpoints, but not understanding why they have it, and as opposed to just um, being able to compartmentalize that they're actually regurgitating someone else's viewpoint. This, or this is a hundred percent my OK Boomer battlefield. Like this is something that I, I will go to war on <laughs> about the. I social media has done a lot of fantastic things for the ability to get you know cool things out to other people. There's artists and and incredibly talented people that have been able to showcase their talents because of Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you know, all the different little platforms that are now dead, like Vine and obviously TikTok that is still there. So there's been some great stuff there, but the, the ability to fall inside a negative sphere of influence and, uh, you know, like all the buzzwords I like to use, like echo chamber and whatnot, it, it is scary. And, the, yeah, just the, the misinformation that's spread and the, the complete lack of critical thought process that comes with it is what really frustrates me. Like you said, it, it mm. is one thing to hold an opinion on a subject, uh, but whether it's fallacious or not, whether it's a, a bad opinion, um, but you, because you can play devil's advocate and and make a really interesting mm-hmm. argument out of plenty of things, uh, but in mm-hmm. this, it's the fact that you know Burton's response there is uh, embryonic of a far greater issue where people will just pick up some stupid thing and take it as a fact without being able to process why it should be considered a fact, whether it is right or wrong. Well, as you know, John, when you brought this to my attention. I thought surely he was taking the piss. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I didn't believe this was going to be possible. Then I watched the interview and I was waiting for the penny to drop, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I was, I was waiting for there to be uh, something in the, um, in the way, in the tone of his voice or a facial expression, you know, a nod, a wink, uh, that you know, indicated that he was, he was playing around a bit and, 
it was obvious that he wasn't. And it was also obvious that Josh Mansour was a little bit taken aback. A little bit uncomfortable for us. Like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. And then trying to make it. And trying they're to trying to make it, it humorous, yeah. and that and that and that maybe it was a humorous take that Burton had with it, but no, there was no escaping the fact that he was thinking, well, yeah, no, I think it's flat, and that was that was about the extent of it. So, yeah, stay in school, well, kids. Stay in no, school. Well, or if you're not going to stay on school, you can join uh, sixty forty and I as we venture down to Antarctica and breach the wall and see what's on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, moving on to something a lot more um, a lot more serious now. Uh, the NRLW has seen some player movements, and sixties um, Anessa Biddle, Brooke Anderson have both re-signed with the Sharks. Likewise, Riley Jorgensen's extended with the Titans for three years. Um, we've spoken in previous podcasts about multi-year deals now starting to become the norm and, um, in, in the NRLW. Obviously, some great pieces of news uh, for those teams. Yeah, the Sharks, with last year being their first season, being able to secure players that were a success in their first season, that they can build the team around, and uh, there are a couple of New Zealand representative players there as well. So uh, they're, I, I guess both of them are uh, star players in, in terms of their roster. But not only that, it gives the supporters that I, I, a sense of the, an identity about the team once you start to get those multi-year deals because we all know what it was like with trying to follow teams where the roster was changing year on year, where players became free agents after just one season. So the multi-year deals in the NRLW are a great thing. And as for Riley Jorgensen, for a young prop, she absolutely rips and tears in. She has a huge future. So it's no surprise there that the Titans would lock her up for three years. And and uh, I know the Eels yeah. have got some, you know, gears in motion with a new coach and Steve George Arles and all the changes that come to the roster of that. But it would it would be nice as a fan, like you mentioned their sixties in terms of building that culture as a team and for fans to see uh not not I mean proactive, but just to see the Eels making some moves officially to lock up some of their talent. Um you talk about building that team, but the likes of Cassie Toei Hiku Abby Church, uh, Tyler Amiatu, who was another breakout player for us, um, and, and getting these talented young women under lock and key, um, you know, not even about going out and signing someone because there are needs in that roster to fill out. But uh, hopefully, in the you know the coming weeks, the uh, the Eels can make this official. Yeah, look, I, it's my understanding that there's a bit happening there with Steve George Arliss. He's already uh, exerting his influence as a coach with uh, the interactions with the players that have begun, that those, those sort of interactions have begun. And um, I'm not expecting too much in the way of any signing announcements in the, the immediate future, but I think before the season begins, we'll start to see a little bit more in the way of uh, contract news there. So I guess it's a matter of watch this space. Well, gents, um, this 
probably brings us towards the end of the show. We did have penciled in that we might discuss um, some rule changes yeah. here. But, uh, John, how are we traveling for tri- time? At the oh, it, we've been good boys for a number of weeks now, but we've crept over the hour and a half mark today. So um, yeah. we've, we've had a pretty extensive waffle on. And then, look, the fact that there was some good old-fashioned in, well, investigative, but just good journalism with the Brad Arthur piece by Crawley probably carried the load this week. So we had a big dive into that, and that's where we can – you know what? We found a way to blame Crawley anyway. So there you go. <laughs> he, he, did, he did good work, but he also screwed things up for us. So. Yeah, the, that I think that rule change can keep for another week. After all, it's not going anywhere, and we haven't had any games under the new rules. So we'll we'll put, we'll pencil it in for next week now. Well, uh, that obviously brings the show to a conclusion. Uh, 60s, uh, Craig, 40s, John, thank you very much for uh, all your great work today. Uh, and speaking of thank yous, a big thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf at Northmead and star partners, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta, who make the show possible and everything at the Cumberland Throw possible. Um, but before we do sign off uh, for today, as always, I give it to 60s for the last word to say. Go, you mighty eels. <laughs>